This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John. John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. You all can have a seat. Those are some good passages this morning. Church, they're good ones. Each of them um, hard to pass up and skip over and just read and let sit, and yet I suspect that's part of the power of the thing, you know? Just let the Word of God be what it is. Um, but there's a lot there. So I want to pray and just uh, ask for the Holy Spirit's help in Uh, helping us hear what we need to hear. Uh, Lord, be with us now through the reading of your word and the proclaiming of your word and through all these things, Jesus. We thank you, God, for the gift of the church. We thank you, Lord, for a holy and sacred space and for all the very, like, real life that happens within it, us still being very normal, ordinary people. Um, with our, our babies and our distractions and our lives. You are our Emmanuel, you are God with us, and you have gathered us, Lord, to yourself this morning to heal us and help us and hold us. And so I pray for exactly that, Holy Spirit, that you would do now, Lord, in each of us what it is, Lord, that we need Give us light, Lord, where we are in need of it. Peace where we are in need of it. Would you still us, Jesus, now and help us to hear you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, Merry Christmas, y'all, and Happy New Year. It is um, indeed 
still the Christmas season around here. If some of you maybe are not familiar with the liturgical church and you came to church today thinking that we've left all that Christmas behind us, your trees are already down and you've put the Christmas classics away off of Spotify, buried it now back beneath the bottom. Oh no, we're still here. We're still decidedly in Christmas, um, at least for one more Sunday for today, for this Sunday. In the liturgical church, Christmas is not just a day, but a season. It's 12 days of celebrating, of rejoicing, trying to like wrap our minds around, okay, Christ has come. What does it mean? And it gives us space uh, to reflect. And I think just to like celebrate as a call to say, you know, like maybe before we move on to the next thing, maybe before we rush on to something else, why don't we just be in this for a minute? And I have found that in my own life um, to be a blessing and a gift because uh, that is the way of the world and our culture and the home that I grew up in. You know, it's like you barely have every Christmas present opened and already, you know, you're on to the next thing boxing stuff up, putting things away, shifting gears. And um, the church is going to say, well, I don't know, wait a minute, why don't we just like take a breath and maybe try to make some space in our own minds and hearts for what all this means, the coming of Jesus and all. And so that's why we're here, is both to continue celebrating, but also really to reflect on what is, mean, what is coming actually means. And so there are 12 days of it, all the way from now until the 6th of January. Uh, so if you don't yet have your Christmas tree put away, don't do it. Just leave it up for a few more days. You're not late, actually. Um, that's the other gift of the liturgical calendar is that you can just kind of keep it up, you know, and you don't have to feel like you're in a hurry or in a rush if you don't have it down by the new year. Just, like, keep it up and keep it going. Keep your candles burning. And maybe make space for, like, what does it mean, Lord, to ask that question for a few more days, all the way till 12th night, actually, which will be Friday night. Um, and in some homes and churches all around the world, that celebration will look different, but it's a time of, um, you know, actually burning your Christmas tree. Some churches and groups of folks will get together and burn the evergreen, and there'll be people who make king's cakes, epiphany cakes, and uh, wassail, and that sort of thing. And it's a fun and festive time both to celebrate the end of the Christmas season and to look ahead to a new year and just rejoice. You know, practice what we've been talking about, which is some kind, sometimes I think the much very needed discipline of just like having a good time, you know, on purpose and slowing things down a little bit, which is a gift for all of us. So for these next few um, days, the question then really is, okay, well, if we're going to think together about what the coming of Jesus means, um, that's a really sacred question, actually, that um, the people who wrote the Gospels gave a lot of space and time to thinking about how they would tell their gospel story, what the coming of Jesus had meant for each of them. Uh, one of the things I've always really loved and appreciated about the gospels themselves is that fact they're so different from one another. Each of them trying to tell a very similar story, the same story about their own experience of Jesus, who they believe Jesus to be, but clearly doing it so differently. And that's not just so that you can have different angles or vantage points on the life of Jesus. It's also telling us something about how these people experienced him something that we're meant to know about who he is that we might otherwise miss. And each of them includes a kind of birth or beginning story, even though they don't all include a manger scene or Mary and Joseph. Matthew and Mark, or Matthew and Luke rather, make sure that you know kind of like what happened about the birth of Jesus, the Christmas story, more traditionally. Um, we read them during Christmas for good reason. But Mark and John also have their own birth or beginning stories to tell. They're just doing it very differently. 
And someday when we have uh, more space and time, I'd like for us to do a deep dive on these birth stories or beginning stories because they're so good. And we've like simplified and sentimentalized them almost to the point of not really being able to hear what it is that the gospel writers are trying to say. But they're very purposeful, very artistically written, trying to like pick up and highlight for you certain themes that the rest of their gospel will unpack and bring to light. Uh, sort of like musical overtures. Those of you who are musical among us, um, you know, like operas will have an overture at the beginning of them. And this first little bit of music is like, it's the intro. It sets up the themes of the opera that's coming so that you like get in the mood, you know, it's mood music. So you kind of know, okay, we're going to be up here, or we're going to be up here, and then we're going to be down here. And so it's like sets the scene or like a TV show theme song does a very similar thing. The purpose is the same. It's supposed to like help you understand a little bit more about the show that you're watching. And um, one of the like most brilliant examples of it comes to mind every time I think about this because I thought it was so well done and I also love the show. But do you guys remember Mad Men? That was a good show. Dark, but good. It was a good show. And when, uh, one of the things I love most about Mad Men was the like opening overture, the musical bit at the beginning of the theme song. Because without words, somehow the music like tells you the story just in the sound of it, the way you hear it, you know? And then the graphics help, you know? But the graphics and the sounds, it went so good so that you kind of like knew the story without knowing it. And there's something similar happening in the birth and these beginning stories of each of the Gospels. They're kind of telling you the story before they tell it. And the way that John decides to tell his story about who Jesus is and what his coming means for us is so specific and purposeful. And it has always struck me, you know, that's a lot of pressure, where do you start to tell the story of who Jesus is and what his coming has meant for us? So for Matthew and Luke, it begins with the birth of Jesus. For Mark, it begins at the baptism of Jesus, which is its own kind of birth story. You know, he goes through the waters, but not birth waters. He goes through the waters of baptism, a lot like Israel being birthed through the Red Sea. That's where Mark wants to begin. For John, it's not the pregnancy stories and it's not baptism. John takes it all the way back. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All the way back to Genesis 1. So immediately, what that tells us is that for John, there's a connection, some sort of important connection, meaningful one, between the story of creation that happens in Genesis 1 and the coming of Jesus, that they're somehow related Something came into existence with the creation of the world, and something came into existence with the coming of Jesus, and these two stories are going to help us understand each of them, and I really love that. I love that because at some moment or point in time, that occurred to John. Do you know what I'm saying? Like he had this realization, kind of epiphany, if you will, where all this, this is not somebody he had like not known. There were so many revelations there had to have been for John about who Jesus is and was. But first, the first of it, the most simple of it is that he just loved him. He loved him. John believed loved him most of all, actually. John refers to himself in his gospel as the one whom Jesus loved. Not a bad way to be known. Beloved. They loved one another. They were friends. John will say later, later on in his his letters, you know, he was the one that we saw with our eyes, we touched and held with our hands. He knew him. So then there's that kind of knowing him. And then there's the kind of knowing that happened whenever it was 
initiated or inspired by the Holy Spirit, where John was like, I don't know if he was hanging out with Jesus. I don't know if this was after he'd already died and ascended. I don't know when it occurred to him, but at some point he like thought of Genesis 1 and he thought of the coming of Jesus and he went, oh my God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and void and darkness covered the deep. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then a world and new life. And what I love about what John is saying is that the coming of Jesus is like that. Whatever happened when God said, the word of God comes and speaks and light pierces through the darkness and then new life begins to take shape and new possibilities and ever, it's like a whole new world is now initiated because God came and God spoke and light entered into the equation. John is saying that's what the coming of Jesus is like. <laughs> Jesus came and whole new worlds, new possibilities, new life became possible because of him. And John doesn't just mean that in some abstract theological way, y'all. John had experienced that in himself. That's what the coming of Jesus had meant for him. He got to know this person, and in getting to know him, and in getting to love him, and in then choosing to follow him, John is realizing because of that, it's not just that I gained a new perspective, but things that did not exist in me came into existence Things that were not possible before became possible because of my proximity to Jesus, because of my getting to know him, because he came. And I think that's a powerful thing. You know, it's not just that Jesus like is the light you know, in creation. And you know, at what moment was it that John thought, you know, there, he's there. God said, and let there be light, and there was light. And he's like, that's, that's him that's what Jesus is like. It's not just that he's the light that pierces the darkness. He's the giver of light. In other words, he's the reason that we have life. He is the one who dreams it, who wants it for you. He wants you to have life is what I'm saying to you. And the reason you want life is because God has wanted it for you first. And what John was saying is that when Jesus came, I could see that life and I had access to it and it became possible in a way that it was not before. So he called something new into existence, new perspective, new wisdom, new knowledge. And he also ordered other stuff that was already there. <laughs> which also happens in the creation story. When we think of Genesis 1 and the creation of the world, a lot of times I think we assume, at least I did, that you know God spoke everything into existence, that there was nothing, and then God spoke, and then there was something. And that is true in some respects, but it also overlooks something I think really important, which is the, text, the story that the text tells is a little more complicated than that. Just listen to the language of it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, and darkness covered the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. So before God says anything, 
or does anything. What we have is not nothing. What we have is darkness that covers the waters. We have a something. And then God says, let there be light, and there was light. And out of that something, God creates life, a world, something that thrives and flourishes, but was not previously thriving or flourishing. So John is saying, what if the coming of Jesus is like that? In some respects, he calls that which did not exist into existence, a sun, a moon, dry land, animals, humans, those things did not exist. They were new, and God created them, the words of his mouth. But then there was other stuff that did exist, and it needed ordering. It needed some authority taken over it. It needed boundaries, like all that chaotic water. One of the first things God does is he separates the water. He puts some water up here and other water down here so that there could be a world. And I'm just going to say, for you and for me, I think this applies. The coming of Jesus for me means that there are things in me that he wants to call into existence that do not yet currently exist. There's ways that I get to grow, in other words. There are possibilities, there's potential in me that is not yet there that Jesus intends to call into existence as I grow in him. And then there are are other things that are there that could use some repurposing. (laughs) Could be set to rights. They need boundaries. It needs order. And so I wonder if for us, you know, there's like, cosmic reality of like the implications of the coming of Christ. Big stuff. Hard to wrap our minds around. Although I suspect we should spend some time trying. But if you bring it down a level, it also very much applies to me directly, this coming of Jesus. This year, for me now, a very faithful question could be, you're coming, Lord. I mean, I've been with Jesus, y'all, a long time. He's the first thought in the morning and the last thought at night. What does it mean for somebody like me to say, Christ has come? I don't know, but I love the invitation. Because if it is possible that Jesus could come into my life and call new things into existence for me, if that's true, if that's real, then I am here for it. I want what he has for me. For you, what might it be? And it's the reason for all the celebrating, the 12 days, because that's good. Let's get together and eat cake and drink some wassail for crying out loud, because maybe that which does not exist in you could come into existence, praise God. Amen. Amen. Amen, Anglicans. Amen. That's good stuff. I don't know what that is for you. I don't know, but whatever it is, you'll want it and you need it. And this is not just like, you know, nobody had an imagination for the sun until Jesus dreamed it. There is an equivalent for me. There are things I have not yet begun to dream that Jesus holds in his mind for my life and for who I am. And all I'm saying is, what if I could dream with him a little bit 
about not just my life, but our neighborhood, our community, the world. And what happens? God have mercy if we stop dreaming with him or asking him to do more than we know how to ask or imagine in us and through us. So that's good news. I feel thankful and excited about that. I also want to, if that's true and good, then the same God that dreamed the sun and the moon, he looked at the water and thought, "Mm, I think a little bit needs to go here and a little bit needs to go here. And that would be better. So similarly, in my own life, this is not the time for self-flagellating, for me to feel all down in the dumps about like, oh God, I'm so out of shape and oh man, I've got so much goal setting to do and how will I ever? Let's just put that over here. And maybe instead say, Spirit of God, what in me needs to be reordered because it's become disordered? What is creating chaos in my life that you could put boundaries around? Will you help me know how to do that? Where have my appetites like creeped out of their rightful place? And could you, Lord God, who thankfully did not destroy the water, but put it back in its place. Could you help me do the same? So that I can thrive and I can flourish. That's what Jesus did. When he came into the world, what John saw him doing was not unlike what happened when God made creation. John looked at the coming of Jesus and he said, man, you know, he just he called disciples. He gave us resurrection. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us the church. All of these new good things that Jesus called into existence with his coming, he did that. And he also put sin in its place. He put death in its place. He put injustice in its place. And his coming is meant to do the same for us. Something similar. So how do we know what it is that is new that God could create and do? And how do we know what needs to be put back into place? Well, this is where it's helpful to be reminded that the Word of God is living and active, y'all. Now the same as He has always been, John would say. There has been this forever eternal force in the universe that we're going to call the Word of God, that is inherently creative and powerful, generative. God speaks and new life comes. So for you, the reason that that's good news is because you still have access to that same Word of God. And if I want to know, okay, well, what new things might God want to do? And what things would he want to like repurpose or the boundaries around? I need to ask him. I need to ask And the powerful thing to me about John 1 is the reminder that, you know, yes, we can ask. We can pray and hope to hear. And that's not just true in prayer and our Bibles, though that's a great place to start. I also don't want us to forget about the gift we have in each other. 
God is not the only one who can look at your life probably and see that there are certain things that are less ordered than they should be. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's the mercy of having people around us who love us. And if we want to make room, as we've been saying, for Jesus and for new life in us, well, then what we really want is to know what's true. And if you want to know what's true, then ask someone who loves you what's true. What do you see? Help me, God. Curiosity is one of those things that the New Testament doesn't name as a spiritual gift, but I feel increasingly sure it is one. To like be really curious about how people see me. What, how do you experience me? Because I want to know what's true. I don't just want my perception of reality, I would like reality, don't we? I would like to know what's true in an ultimate sense, not just my perception of what's true in an ultimate sense. And so that hunger for truth is going to keep me curious and asking all kinds of people questions. So maybe we make room for that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. And then John goes on to say, Indeed, the law came through Moses. Grace and truth have come through Jesus Christ. And we have access to it, is what I'm saying. So help us, Holy Spirit, to receive it, Lord. The grace, God, of believing and hoping for new things in ourselves the gift, Lord, and the grace of being able to see and know what's true in ourselves and the world around us. And will you have mercy and help us, Lord? Lead us, Jesus. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen.